Welcome to Health or Consequences, Commonwealth Magazine's podcast devoted to Massachusetts state public health and health policy issues. I'm Paul Haddis, here with my colleague, John McDonough. And today our podcast turns really to the challenge of increased drug spending, not really a comprehensive look, but really a focus on the middle people or middlemen of, of the drug chain, which includes pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs, as we sometimes call them, and their own group purchasing organizations. Companies that are increasingly being criticized really by policymakers in Washington and in state capitals like ours for their practices and pricing, which seem to be making drug spending problems worse rather than better. To get us into that exploration a bit, we've invited Dr. Sri Chagaturu, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of CVS Health. Sri is no stranger to Massachusetts. Before joining CVS, he was the Chief Population Health Officer at Mass General Brigham. But his current employer, CVS, in addition to owning about 10,000 pharmacies, as well as the institutional giant Aetna, also operates one of the three largest PBMs in the United States called CVS Caremark. As Congress and the Massachusetts legislature consider new bills to regulate and make more transparent PBM practices, we appreciate the opportunity to hear the PBM side of this public policy dispute. Welcome, Sri. It's a pleasure to be here on the podcast, and Paul and John, thank you for the opportunity. So a uh, lot for us to chat about. So uh, again, my name is Sri Chagatura. I'm the Chief Medical Officer for CVS Health. You can think of us as a leading health solutions company. As you laid out, we have a number of businesses. Uh, we have Aetna that provides healthcare benefits, retail pharmacies, as you described, with the nearly 10,000 locations that provide convenient access in communities across the country, and uh, Caremark, our pharmacy benefit manager. And we are now extending more deeply into healthcare delivery with a number of care delivery solutions, Minute Clinic, as well as primary care with Oak Street Health, home services with Signify Health, as well as virtual offerings. Uh, my role at CVS Health is as Chief Medical Officer for the Enterprise, and fundamentally is to ensure the clinical integrity of all of the services that we're providing across all of the various businesses that we operate. So with that, let me just turn to the PBM and talk about the PBM services. And so what is a PBM? A PBM uh, to break down that acronym is a pharmacy benefit manager. We classically think of health benefits like Aetna providing coverage for medical services and think of Caremark, a PBM, doing the equivalent, but for drug coverage and making sure that people can get coverage for their pharmaceuticals. And in addition to access as one of the key points, there are two other areas that the PBM is working on, managing costs and also supporting care. If we break down what the PBM services are, the first and foremost thing that we do is we negotiate with pharmaceutical companies to negotiate down the pricing of pharmaceuticals. That piece does not start without uh, first starting with clinical integrity in terms of what it must be actually covered to ensure that when patients, members are seeking access to pharmaceuticals, that they have 
appropriate coverage that covers the plethora of human conditions and that there's access to the medications that helps them on their path to better health. So we start with clinical integrity, we negotiate the prices, and then we create what we call formularies, which is to provide prior authorization utilization management tools. That's to manage the access. And that fundamentally is to ensure that the utilization of these medications are according to the FDA label. And that helps us to continue to manage costs. The next piece that we do is to then negotiate with pharmacies. So we want to make sure that when you have coverage for your medications, that there's a pharmacy that accepts your insurance. So we go and negotiate with retail pharmacies across the country so that there is a place for you to have your medications filled. And the PBM is providing a payment to the pharmacy for the drug fulfillment. And then lastly, is to make sure that payment flows between manufacturer to the contracting party, which could be an employer or a health plan or the government, and then back to the pharmacies and uh, with patients. There is a third piece that we talked about, which is care. And we also offer uh, additional services to our clients, which I had just mentioned, those three categories of employers, health plans, and governments. So additional services that help support patients in their uh, care. So it could be helping to support diabetes or HIV or additional services. But again, it's about managing access, care, and costs. And the top line here is that we are the only part of the pharmaceutical distribution chain that is focused on driving pharmaceutical costs down, which continue to be unacceptably high. So this is John McDonough. Shri, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here with you and to meet you. Um, I'd like to just back up a little bit in terms of the larger PBM picture. From our understanding of the data, 80% of the PBM market in the United States, which is a large market, is controlled by just three PBMs out of uh, many PBMs across society. OptumRx, owned by United Healthcare. Caremark owned by CVS and Express Scripts owned by Cigna. And we know also, or we understand that CVS actually gets more revenue from its Caremark PBM than it does from its pharmacies or from its uh, insurance company, Aetna. Um, I guess the question is, why is four-fifths of the PBM market in the United States owned by uh, three huge for-profit companies, both the insurers and the PBMs within them. And uh, is this a failure of government oversight that this market has become so concentrated uh, with so few choices? It's a great question. So if we think about uh, the current industry dynamics, you have three major options and a multiple number of smaller PBMs across the ecosystem. And so there continues to be choice for individuals, uh, for clients, again, that's employers, governments, and for health plans, to choose between a multiple number of PBMs. They are not uh, required or necessary to use any PBM, but they continue to do so. And 98% of Caremark clients continue to contract every year back with Caremark. So they find value in the services that we provide. And uh, when you think about what does it take to drive down the costs of pharmaceuticals, 
it requires negotiation with pharmaceutical companies to make sure that we can ensure that there is appropriate pricing of these uh, medications. So by having the uh, scale that Caremark has, we are able to work with the 100 million lives of Americans that are receiving their drug coverage from us and to use that to then put pressure on pharma to bring down their pricing on medications. Sri, I wonder if I could um, focus on that a bit. You know, as you said, the desire to bring down costs, negotiations you have with pharma, because it's in that realm that the, some of the critique is coming forward for PBMs. You know, you, you as an organization control a fair amount of data about prices that you know about between consumers, employers, insurers, and pharmacies. But one of the assertions is that part of what you do in your negotiations often tied to discussions with pharma is for rebates or certain fees that come to you that sometimes result in you getting more revenue as a result of those negotiations. But the net effect is actually to raise the retail price of the drug rather than low it, a practice that Senator Ron Wyden has said is egregious. How could Americans really believe that UPBMs are always looking out for consumer interests if, in fact, sometimes your practices to favor some of your economic return are actually raising prices as asserted? So we earn the trust of our customers by prioritizing transparency as a cornerstone of our approach, and that begins with contracting. One of the uh, topics that you talked about, rebates, we pass on 98% of our rebates back to our customers, and that uh, ensures that there's ongoing trust, transparency, and ongoing satisfaction with our work. But I think I would um, also talk about the pricing transparency. And if I look within the Massachusetts marketplace, there are several PBM-related bills that are pending in the Massachusetts legislature this session that's really focused on this area. And in our conversations with the lawmakers, the frustration we hear boils down to the underlying costs of medications and how those costs impact access for patients. And Massachusetts has been a leader in grappling with the problem of high healthcare costs. That really began in 2012 in the cost containment law, which created the Center for Health Information and Analysis, GIA, and the Health Policy Commission, which I know this audience knows well. And I think the state's transparency focus has created a paradigm shift in how policymakers can think about healthcare costs from simply reviewing uh, a health insurance race to a broader understanding of the underlying medical costs. And CVS Health supports the efforts in this legislature to expand CHIA and HPC's role in understanding underlying prescription drug costs by making all actors in the supply chain participate in the state's existing transparency process. And so by creating that transparency, we can continue to demonstrate that there's a fundamental, a vital role of the PBM in driving down pharmaceutical costs. And that will uh, be shown through, uh, one, we already have proof in the fact that our customers continue to retain us in helping them to drive down pharmaceutical pricing. And two, through these efforts, we can show that uh, on an industry level. Sri, I wonder if I could press a little bit more on this idea of transparency and even doing the rebate issue. And I am glad if I'm hearing you say that your kinds of organizations, along I assume with pharma and others, should in fact maybe come under more of HPC's oversight, at least to provide information there. 
But on the first on the rebate side, you said 98% of the dollars that you're rebated to you get passed on. But isn't the fact, as has been asserted, this is not my creation, that your group purchasing organization, which often is involved in that rebate negotiation, holds on to a lot of that rebate and then only passes a smaller portion on to you, which ultimately gets shared with others. And whether I'm right or wrong about this, shouldn't transparency be in the middle of all of this? Shouldn't transparency show us exactly how the dollar flows work between yep. pharma, a group purchasing organization that you wholly own, your organization, and then how it's passed on to others? What, what about that? Couldn't agree more. And hopefully my comments about transparency uh, reflect that we agree that transparency is important in understanding pharmaceutical pricing and how the dollars flow. And the egregious practices of pharma in raising uh, prices year on year. Let me just talk a little bit further about rebates. You know, millions of people benefit from the rebates, or another way to describe them is discounts that we negotiate from drug makers every day. Last year, less than 10% of the billions of claims processed by CVS Caremark involved a rebatable drug. So that means that less than two-tenths of 1% of our revenue was from retained rebates. As I mentioned, we pass along 98% of those rebates to our clients, employers, unions, insurance plans, the government. They then choose how to use those rebates, and that can be done in a number of ways. That could be to reduce out-of-pocket costs at point of service at the pharmacy counter, or it could be spread across the entire population to lower overall premiums. And 100% of rebates are passed through in Medicare Part D, helping or reducing or eliminating premiums in Part D. And what we see is government study after government study that concludes that drug companies aggressively raise prices to meet their own profit targets and raise revenue. And in fact, they set their prices before any negotiations over rebates begin. And so simply stated, drug makers raise prices because they can. Just to be clear, your organization never has <clears throat> any role in helping to make those prices higher because... Uh, you then get a rebate when you bring volume to a particular pharmaceutical company that then wants to earn a certain net price, but it has to pay a rebate to you or your group purchasing organization. It first starts with clinical integrity and in everything that we do. And so one of the uh, first parts of thinking about what the future drug coverage will be was, is there competitive dynamics in a therapeutic class? And if there is competitive dynamics in a therapeutic class, and what do I mean by that? Let's take... Um, you know, uh, hypertension or high cholesterol, there are two drugs that could both treat the condition. We can start to say, well, if, you know, you have to cover medications in this class, but then go to the manufacturers and then negotiate is the way that we can bring down the pricing, uh, the, the net cost of these medications in that class. And then that competition then creates that rebates, which, as we just discussed, passes on that uh, to our customers. But again, the pricing is set before we even start rebate negotiation, right? So pharma is setting their pricing every single year, uh, it, you know, before we even start that negotiation. So understand that pharma is asserting that uh, there is this concern around rebates driving up uh, list prices. But fundamentally, that's in their control. And ultimately, what matters to consumers as well as the purchasers of healthcare is the net cost. What is the final price that you pay? And that is inclusive of the negotiations and rebates. And 
only 10% of drugs have rebates involved. Remember, 90% of medications are generic medications that are generic dispensed. That was 50% 10 years ago. PBMs have played a significant role in driving the increased uptake of generics because we recognize that generics, uh, when the marketplace functions correctly, are an incredible way of lowering the net price of medications in this country. Quick question about generics, because I know my colleague, John, really wants to broaden this uh, to, a, to a broader policy level. But on the generic side, what you say is where most prescriptions are, there is also the accusation, you want to call it, that PBMs use something called spread pricing to drive up the total cost, where in essence, what you get paid, let's say, by Medicaid or somebody else, you receive a certain amount of dollars, you then pay the pharmacy a smaller amount of dollars for that generic drug and you keep the difference. And at least, you know, that's been part of the policy discussion in, in Washington uh, about that practice. What's, what's your response to that? Yeah, so our employers, unions, and insurance plan customers can choose different types of contracting arrangements to meet their financial needs. It's always their choice as to how they structure their contract to pay for services that a PBM performs for them. With the spread pricing model, we guarantee our customers a discounted rate on every claim, regardless of what the pharmacy filing the claim charges. If the pharmacies charge more than that guaranteed rate, we pay the difference for our clients. If the pharmacy charges less, we receive that amount as payment for our services. I would say a majority of our customers don't use spread pricing, but for those who do, uh, there are two significant benefits. It offers cost certainty and predictability that is crucial to managing their business, and there are reduced administrative fees. And typically under a spread pricing model, we don't charge customers any administrative fees for the core services that we perform. So again, spread pricing is one of many options for clients, uh, and a majority of people don't use spread pricing. So so recently, a group of smaller PBMs just within the past 10 days or so uh, came out and declared a policy objective to have 100% transparency on all pricing, discounts, rebate by PBMs all across the country. The three large PBMs, yourselves included, were not on that list. Are you willing to embrace 100% transparency for everything that you do? Because I think one of the reasons people who understand this arena are suspicious and lack trust is because most of the data that really matters is totally non-transparent. Yeah, the trust of our clients is critically important to us. The trust of the government is inclusive as our, one of our largest clients, and we are in that trust because we are transparent. That transparency starts at the beginning of How our customer. How are you customer. transparent? So when we negotiate our contracts, we negotiate them in a granular detail. We understand and help people understand how their dollars are spent. We provide regular detailed updates on drug spending, on utilization, prescription claims process, cost savings achieved, manufacturer rebates that are received, and ultimately the clinical outcomes that are achieved. And so we believe that transparency is critical. And I think that's also reflective in our support of the legislation that's currently being uh, considered in Massachusetts to increase transparency with GIA and HPC. And then why isn't this publicly available? 
Well, I think it's ensuring that when you we continue to have a common understanding of what it is that we're reporting and how we assess that in a fair and equal way across the industry. And I think the legislation allows us to do that and to uh, show across all the PBMs and across the entire industry and also with pharmaceutical companies in a common language, a common data structure, what is the actual cost of medications and how is that dollars flowing? So I think that's where having that structure is going to be really important in advancing transparency, which we fully agree with. So right now in Washington, D.C., the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services are preparing a new drug pricing negotiation structure that is going to begin fully in 2026 with a small number of drugs and increasing and growing from there. If that approach were made general across American society or across the health sector, would we really need PBMs anymore? Every other country uses some kind of public process where pharmaceutical prices are set in an open and accessible way. Uh, if government did here, what every other government does, would we really still need PBMs at all? Yeah, I think it's important to note that PBMs are effective in creating competition. That's demonstrating the discounts and the high savings. And uh, with the government setting the pricing, it does potentially distort the markets versus letting marketplaces work. And so I think this is an important initiative underneath the Inflation Reduction Act. And uh, we will look at um, how the government will... Uh, function in terms of lowering prices. We already negotiate rebates on over 50% of these products uh, with over 70% manufacturing discounts in the medications that are already selected for negotiation. And so uh, we look forward to seeing the results and uh, we think that we'll all have a lot to learn from each other. You say that competition is working to drive down prices but then why do Americans pay the highest prices for pharmaceuticals of any advanced nation in the world? You know, when we look at the pharmaceutical uh, prices in America, that is initially set by pharmaceutical companies. It is not set by PBMs. Without negotiation, without pressure on pharma companies, my concern is that we would be paying even more if pharma was left to its own devices without that pressure of negotiation. But if our government did what every other advanced government does for their citizens, we would have much lower prices as they do in all other countries. We wouldn't really need to have a non-transparent private sector like the PBMs doing this role. I mean, it's I, I believe that you bring down prices, but we have no idea what happens then to those profits that are created through the reduction of the prices. And we know that a huge amount goes into your own CVS corporation, uh, providing more revenue than you get even from your pharmacies or Aetna. I think if you if government were to set prices and to set them lower than the negotiated rate, that what you're saying might be true. But, you know, as a society, we'd have to discuss and have that discussion around, do we want government to set the prices versus negotiation between pharma and the government? And would we want to have other actors also negotiating and creating that marketplace? And having multiple actors negotiating will help drive down prices further. I think the difference, John, is you're describing, um, we're conflating negotiation with setting prices. 
And if it's setting prices that you're talking about, that is a different conversation than having uh, negotiations. Germany is an example of a country that sets prices through negotiations. And they've done it quite successfully. And uh, they have much lower prices than we have just relying on the private sector to do it. I, it's, uh, you know, as you described, setting prices through negotiation fundamentally, which one is it? Is it a negotiation or is it setting pricing? It's both. So it's a I negotiation think... process. And then the government takes the negotiated rate and sets the price at that level. Right. You know, I think pharma would argue that that's setting pricing. And what's wrong with that? Every other country sets prices that's, and they pay so much less for the same drugs that you pay so much more for. That's a fundamental discussion around how, you know, are we, uh, you know, in terms of how we want to operate our capitalist society. And if we wanted to head in that um, direction, that would be a very different way of how our country has fundamentally operated its markets to date. Uh, and I think, you know, that would be something that would be voted on at the voting booths. But I think, um, John, you're putting forth one of the potential uh, plethora of options in lowering drug pricing. Sri, I wonder if we could end on a little focus on Massachusetts, because you have mentioned that, you know, you're aware of the proposed legislation. And one of the bills, I think, by one of the Joint Finance Committee chairs, Lawn, would ask that PBMs be, all become licensed in the state. There would be increased transparency requirements placed on you, and it would create a fiduciary duty that you would owe directly to patients so that you're, you're, in theory, at least as I understand it, your pricing and practices have to be done in a way that you're thinking about how is the patient you know, benefiting here economically, ultimately, from, from your own uh, efforts. What's your thought about that lawn bill? So I don't know the um, all of the specific uh, stipulations within the bill. I think... You know, as I've mentioned earlier, you know, we really do believe that uh, much of the bills are in terms of creating that transparency is important uh, in helping us understand. And I think, you know, if I look at some of the notes that I have around Senator Cindy Friedman's bill on prescription drug transparency would require us to report data to CHIA that explains how rebate dollars are allocated, the trends in the net cost of prescriptions participating in the cost trends hearing process, being licensed with the Division of Insurance, and ensuring that we have transparency reporting by manufacturers so the state can understand how prescriptions are priced, how those and what those trends and drug costs are impacting over our healthcare costs. That's all, you know, we are uh, in support of that. There are other provisions, for example, such as um, restricting specialty networks or mail order pharmacy options. And what we see is in other states that have uh, proposed restricting the pharmacy networks is that that can increase uh, the total cost to plan sponsors anywhere between two to 12%. And so, you know, I think we'll work through the process in terms of what is the right, you know, areas that we can actually all get behind. Well, fundamentally, transparency is really important. One of the things that you talked about is the cost to individuals and the cost to individuals comes down in healthcare, either to the specific individual in their purchasing or utilization of healthcare services or to the overall premium and their health benefits. And so when uh, the savings are passed on from PBM to plan sponsor or the purchaser, the 
purchaser then has the choice of do you pass those savings on directly to that individual member patient or do we use and spread the savings to lower everyone's premium and so that's a you know that's a question of do you want to force plan sponsors to always pass it down to the specific patient and there's a lot of pros and cons to that or do you want to use it to lower everyone's premium which also has its attendant pros and cons and so um you know, any restriction on plan sponsors, and again, when I say plan sponsors, it's the people purchasing healthcare, employers, government, health plans, uh, that creates unintended consequences versus allowing that client, that plan sponsor to figure out what's right for their specific circumstance. Shri, we appreciate uh, your joining us today, you know, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer at CVS. I know we've Short half an hour time, try to explore a range of issues, but we appreciate you uh, digging in with John and I today. And uh, thank you very much. It was a really great conversation.